Today, I'm hitting on the first 10 on my top 25 preseason for the college football season. Got to get it out there before the AP poll drops, and I can certainly discuss that uh, once that finally comes out. I am going to start with 1 through 10 today because I don't think there are going to be too many surprises with who is at the tippy top. And I think there's more intrigue with who will fill out the bottom section of the top 25. Plus, that will allow me to discuss certain conferences as I go through and standings for the uh, groups as I kind of go through. So here we go. The top 25 countdown starts today. My pick to win the national championship this upcoming year is Alabama, the Crimson Tide. To no one's surprise, 12 starters returning for the squad, the most since 2013. They've made eight of the last nine playoffs. They're bringing in the second highest ranked recruiting class ever. Ironically, it's the second ranked recruiting class in 2022 behind Texas A&M, who, of course, had the best recruiting class in the history of that metric. And that's, of course, why Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher got in a heated back and forth this past season uh, involving NIL as well. They're bringing in three five-stars, 21 four-stars. They were fifth in the transfer portal ranking, which is the new uh, metric that's out to kind of measure how teams are doing bringing players in from the portal. A couple five-stars there. There are only five available on the market and three four-stars as well. They were sixth in scoring, seventh in passing, seventh in total offense per game last season. They had 150 rushing yards per game, which was 75th in the country. Uh, But don't let that fool you. The teams that don't necessarily run anymore in college may be ranked lower, but that doesn't mean that they can't do it if they don't need to, especially in this case. Jameer Gibbs is transferring in and will presumably be the starter after two lost years at Georgia Tech. That team's been absolutely floundering. He averaged over five yards per carry and will also be a receiving threat to help out of the backfield as well. The Tide last year averaged six-plus yards needed to convert on third downs, which is certainly concerning, concerning, I should say, Uh, but they did convert on over 52% of third downs, which was fifth in the country. So uh, most of the time they had third and long to go, but then they had a top-five conversion rate. Heisman winner Bryce Young and his fifth-place Vote getter behind him, teammates, linebacker Will Anderson Jr. are both back. So the number one and number five in the Heisman voting last year. Both redshirt sophomores returned to the field. Young threw for over 4,800 yards on just a touch under 70% completion percentage and a 47-7 to touchdown interception ratio that was second in the country in yards and touchdown passes thrown. It was, however, the least efficient season from an Alabama quarterback in the past five years, so there is some room for improvement there. Anderson had over 100 tackles, led the country with 17 and a half sacks. That was two more than the second-place guy. Safety Jordan Battle compiled over 85 tackles. It figures to be a massive part of that secondary, and the defensive line will again be stacked. 
They're replacing both tackles and all receivers from last season. Saban brought in Jermaine Burton from Georgia and Tyler Harrell from Louisville because he was unimpressed when no one stepped up in the national championship game after John Meshi and Jamison Williams went down. Burton logged 26 receptions, 497 yards, and five touchdowns, and Harrell logged 18 catches, 523 yards, and six scores last season. Both averaged 19-plus yards per catch and will be great downfield threats for the Tide this season. They've been top 20 in special teams rankings for the past three seasons and are bringing in Cole Hutzler from Old Miss to be the position coach for the outside linebackers and to run the special teams units. This team did have several concerns last season, if you recall. They had close games against Florida, LSU, Arkansas, Auburn. They had to beat in four overtimes in the new weird overtime periods, the one play. Once you go to three overtimes, it's one play to uh, to score. And uh, they still went 13-2. and two. They made the national championship, obviously. They beat Georgia by 16 in the SEC championship game. And every other game was a 20-plus point victory. They were down two corners in their top receivers in that national championship game. Not to uh, diminish what Georgia did, but just kind of puts in perspective how close they were with how many flaws they really had. And they will be better this year. Hard to pick against Alabama to not go and repeat. Now, the strength of schedule, I'm going by Phil Steele's rankings. Uh, according to him, they're 29th on strength of schedule. They're in the most difficult division in college football, I think. The SEC East, Texas A&M, Arkansas, LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Auburn. All those teams were ranked at one point last season. The schedule sets up with an opener at home against last season's Mount West champion, Utah State, in a game that probably won't be close but won't be a 50-point blowout either. Week 2 is the big name, big noon kickoff game on Fox. That'll be the feature against Texas. The Longhorns, of course, slid to 5-7 and seven last season and couldn't stop anyone. The offense should be better. Uh, after questions at receiver heading into last season, Quint Ewer will be a quarterback, but I don't think this will be a uh, close game here early in the season. Their first real easier opponent will be home dates against Louisiana Monroe and Vanderbilt. Then they'll play four of the next six games on the road against Arkansas, Tennessee, Old Miss, and LSU team expected to rebound under Brian Kelly, although we're not quite sure if rebound means we're sitting right around 6-6 six and six this season or pushing eight or nine wins. None of these games are gimmies in that stretch. The home dates in between are against a loaded Texas A&M team who's fired up and ready to knock Saban off again. And uh, a Mississippi State team that could surprise in year three under Mike Leach. They'll end the season against Austin Pay, the usual non-conference gimme game late in the season, and Auburn in a home date for the Iron Bowl. It's possible the Tigers struggle and find themselves last in the division if the school very publicly tried to fire the coaching staff last season. That six-game six stretch from October there through mid-November is the key six weeks. One loss. Could see them in the playoffs at the end of the season. We've seen it before. Even if they don't make the SEC championship game, but two is obviously a no-go. Six to eight of the teams on their schedule could be ranked at some point in the season. That's just a, a healthy number. We could see a number of them in the top 15. It's never easy, but Saban just keeps ticking, and I think that'll be the case again this season. 
My number two team is the Ohio State Buckeyes, who I think will fall eventually to the tide in the national championship game. The Buckeyes have the number four recruiting class, bringing in a couple five stars and 14 four stars. 14 starters are returning for this squad. Was the most efficient offense in the country last season. It was primarily through passing the ball. Uh, way more passing attempts than the average football team. Relying very much on C.J. Strout, who put his foot down and stole the, uh, not stole, but won the starting position last season. Put up over 4,400 yards with a 44-6 to touchdown interception ratio. Just a touch under 72% completion rate. Jackson Smith and Jigba exploded last season and finished top eight in several receiving categories. Despite playing with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, who are both in the NFL now, he had over 1,600 yards and almost 17 yards per catch and nine touchdowns. Marvin Harrison Jr. will slide into a starting spot right next to him. He actually got his first Rose Bowl start against Utah and caught three touchdown passes. Travian Henderson, the true sophomore running back, might actually be the most exciting player on the team on offense once he gets going. Over 1,200 yards, 6.8 yards per carry, and 15 touchdowns as a true freshman last season. The offense was number one in scoring at 45.7 points per game, third in passing. Could be better this season. Could be close to 2019 LSU Joe Burrow historic numbers. The defense gave up 30-plus points five times, and the defense was gashed on the ground in the two losses against Oregon and Michigan. Jim Knowles comes over after piloting Oklahoma State's top 10 defense last season to this Ohio State group that was outside the top 25 in most defensive metrics. So if he can get this group up to snuff, there's no doubt that they will be heading towards the national championship game. This has the most potential out of any group in the country. They should be improved on the back end, could start six to seven seniors and a few more juniors. They'll be heavy on experience. And all the special team contributors will return as well. The strength of schedule I have at 14th. All three non-conference games, they hit right out of the gate with Notre Dame. They're hosting Notre Dame, the Irish, Arkansas State, and Toledo. The Irish will open up year 100 at Ohio Stadium and could make or break the season right away for the Buckeyes. A loss means no more slip-ups the rest of the season allowed, of course. A win means a strong enough resume for one loss Ohio State to make the playoffs, regardless of whether or not they win the Big Ten title. Toledo could win the MAC and should stay in the game for about a quarter and a half. They could hang in there for a bit. The Buckeyes get five conference games at home, four on the road, They get a tougher draw from the West Division, not Northwestern, but in Iowa and Wisconsin. However, both of those games will be at home. So the schedule stacks up like this. The first month, they don't leave the state. Notre Dame, Arkansas State, Toledo, Wisconsin, Rutgers, all at home. For the next six, they're on the road, but they do get a bye week in there. So they'll have at Michigan State October 8th, take a bye week. Then they'll play Iowa at home, who will also be coming off a bye. Then they'll hit the soft part of the schedule, arguably, at Northwestern, home against Indiana, at Maryland, before closing out November 26th at home against Michigan. Big noon kickoff on Fox. I imagine there'll be like six teams in here ranked at one point or or another in the season. So 
not the uh, easiest schedule, but not the most difficult either. And they'll certainly have the offense to make things click. Jim Knowles will be the MVP if he can get the defense to hold up and get this team to the playoffs, potentially in the national championship game where I have them projected to be. There are a lot of bad offenses in the Big Ten. There certainly were last season. I'm talking ranked towards the bottom nationally. But they'll have to shut off Notre Dame, Wisconsin, Michigan with how they match up, potentially Michigan State and Maryland, and whoever they play uh, in the postseason or additional conference games. So that will be very important. But any improvement there, and this team is looking real special. Number three, I have the Georgia Bulldogs bringing in the number three recruiting class, handful of five stars, second to only Texas A&M in the quantity of five stars coming in. 17 four-stars just reloading that defense. Only 10 starters returning, though, which is rather low. Stenson Bennett, former third stringer at this time last year, will be back, of course, returns as the uh, starter there for the uh, Bulldogs after JT Daniels moved on to West Virginia. Bennett had over 2,800 yards and a 29-7 to touchdown INT ratio last season. Seven starters back on offense. Offensive line will have a couple new starters, mostly underclassmen projected to start there. Running back James Cook and Zamir White will be off to the NFL, but they'll re- be replaced with guys that are mostly on the roster already, not a lot of transfers or recruits in. Jermaine Burton, of course, burned on social media when he transferred to Alabama, but the offense should mostly be able to pick up where they left off. They were ranked 10th in scoring last season, but 35th in rushing, 51st in passing, 26th overall. The turnover margin was plus three, which is not necessarily what you would have expected with this defense. Ohio State and Alabama are both both plus nine. I say that to make the point that Georgia could see some regression. Obviously, the defense was number one in scoring at 10.2 points per game, second in rushing, 13 in passing, second overall, historically great, but they only returned three starters. Uh, Four to five uh, uh, five stars are coming in on the defensive side of the ball, but the defense really has to, uh, the offense really has to make a step forward to help this team repeat, to make an appearance in the national championship game, because the defense it's probably going to take a bit of a step back. They only converted on 44% of third downs last season, which was 41st in the country. Uh, Jalen Carter does look ready on that defensive line. Keely Ringo at the corner spot looks um, like a top 10 uh, NFL draft pick. So they do have more pieces on the defense ready to go. But the offense as a total unit was outside of the top 25 and they really need to to pick that up. Ringo actually was uh, two for two on 17 deep ball targets thrown at him last season. He only gave up two completions, and he picked two of them off. That's pretty uh, pretty incredible. Now the schedule, part of the reason they're up so high is because the schedule's not terribly difficult compared to the talent level. Four non-conference games are sprinkled in throughout the year, with Oregon, Samford, Kent State, and Georgia Tech on the slate. The Bulldogs will pull two of the easier opponents out of the SEC East Division in Auburn and Mississippi State. So the slate lines up like this. September 3rd, and what's essentially a home game at Mercedes Dome in Atlanta, home of the Falcons and United FC. We'll get to see the Oregon Ducks waddle in to visit the Georgia Bulldogs at 3.30. 
on ABC in a big game between those two. Top 25, maybe top 15 teams. Then we'll get Samford at South Carolina in the Gamecocks' first big game with Spencer Rattler under center. Kent State and at Missouri on October 1st. They'll get the next month at home, including a bye week, before a couple of tough divisional games coming up. Home against Auburn, Vanderbilt, bye week. Then Jacksonville for the cocktail party against Florida, October 29th at 3.30 on CBS. And Tennessee at home in a week that could be um, the two toughest teams in the schedule up to that point, other than Oregon and Florida and Tennessee. They'll close out at Mississippi State and at Kentucky, finally a home date against Georgia Tech. So this team could take a full step back from last season and still roll through their schedule. I'm not confident in Oregon, especially flying across the country in week one. Florida, Tennessee, and Kentucky are all fun picks to pop up and watch. Um, And possibly, you know, one of those teams pushes for 10 wins this season, but it's inevitable that one or two of them struggle. Georgia should make the playoffs again. Um, They could lose to Oregon and win the rest of the games, including the SEC championship. They could go 12-0 and lose the SEC championship and still make it in. There's wiggle room for for a lot of different scenarios here, but it's just not likely that we see two losses and no playoffs. And there's certainly wiggle room through mid-October for Kirby Smart to work with the roster and get it to where it needs to be in position to repeat. Now my fourth team is the Utah Utes out of the Pac-12. I don't think uh, the AP poll is going to have them this high. They have the number 33 recruiting class, 14 starters return. Great season last year, won the Pac-12. They bounced back from 1-2 and two to finish 10-4, and four, 14th in scoring, 13th in rushing, 84th in passing. Hopefully that will continue to improve with everyone outside of uh, Britain. Uh, Britton Cavoy returning, but he's a real loss at slot receiver. Uh, Tavion Travis will be a candidate for all-conference first team. He had 1,100 yards, 21 touchdowns, 5.5 yards per carry last season. He will be one of the top running backs in the country. Of course, we have a lot of those every single year, but he will be up there. The offensive line will see a little bit of turnover, but should still be a solid group. The defense was 27th overall nationally, 35th in points allowed, uh, but statistically the best defense in the conference last season behind Arizona State. It's entirely possible they have the best offense and overall defense in the league this season, and are clearly the the best team in the conference, just like they ended up uh, last year after making those few tweaks three games into the season, including making Cameron Uprising the um, top quarterback there. The Pac-12 is not looking real strong, and we can see from the recruiting rankings and the projected starting quarterbacks this season that Utah really should be favored here. Let's take a quick gander. So California will be bringing in Jake Plummer, a backup from Purdue at a quarterback. Oregon will be bringing in Bo Nix from Auburn, who struggled last year. Washington will be bringing in Michael Penix Jr., transfer from Indiana, who struggled in his time. Washington's Jay will be bringing in FCS quarterback Cameron Ward from Incarnate Word to join his offensive coordinator, Eric Morris. That could be very fun, but unproven. Arizona starred four quarterbacks last season, 
and they'll actually be bringing in Jaden DeLora out of Washington State. He left that situation. It will be coming to uh, Tucson, Arizona. Arizona State lost Jaden Daniels to the portal and bring in Emery Jones out of Florida who lost his starting job. So a lot of guys that were not very productive in their previous stops or lost their jobs, just not a great showing for quarterbacks there. Oregon State returns Chance Nolan from a 7-6 and six squad. He's decent. Uh, Colorado returns Brendan Lewis, who played all 12 games and only threw three interceptions for an awful Colorado team. Stanford has a quarterback in Tanner McGee, who's on the NFL's radar. But that team went 3-9 and nine last season. And the last two quarterbacks from Stanford to go to the NFL were Davis Mills in 21 and Kevin Hogan in 16. Just saying. UCLA returns Dorian Thompson-Robinson for his fifth year. So he'll presumably be one of the top guys of the class. USC brings in Caleb, Caleb Williams, who I'll get to shortly. And Utah, of course, Cam Rising, who again wasn't starting at this point last season. Charlie Brewer was, who beat him out in camp. And then promptly... Um, had a few bad games and is now transferred out of the program and into Liberty, I believe. So Rising is easily going into the season one, two, or three your choice as far as quarterbacks here. Just terrible, um, a terrible time here. Uh, the Pac-12 getting scraps. As far as recruiting rankings, Oregon was 13th this past year. Stanford 19th. Arizona stunning 22nd. As they're trying to see a turnaround here, only five Pac-12 teams were in the top 55 recruiting rankings. This is after half the teams had a losing record last year. Trojans were number one in the transfer portal rankings with 20 total commitments and two of the five five stars in the portal uh, going to play for Lincoln Riley, of course. So that's one of the reasons why the Pac-12 doesn't look to be improving anytime soon. And it sure looks like Utah's game moving forward. Oregon and Stanford are right along with Utah. 13 to 14 starters returning, best positioned. And um, the question is, can they go undefeated or with one loss and still make the playoffs? I'm going to say they can, but the schedule is very difficult. Nine-game conference schedule here. Five of those games will be on the road this year. And two of the three non-conference opponents will be quality teams. They open up on the road at Florida in the Swamp. That'll be a tough one. They get San Diego State, went to the Mountain West Championship game last season in Game 3. In between there, they have uh, Southern Utah, who will get crushed. They get Arizona State, UCLA, Washington State, Oregon, and and Colorado back-to-back to end the season with two road games. That's Oregon and Colorado to end the season on the road. So those are the away games on the schedule. That's tough, especially two at the end of the year, Oregon being one of them. They'll get USC at home, uh, but this squad, again, will have to go 11-1 or undefeated to have a shot at the playoffs. I think they can certainly do it. Oregon's going to have some struggles. USC's all transfers and going to have some struggles. I don't have a lot of belief in anyone else. So I do have the Utah Utes winning the Pac-12 and going to the playoffs as the number for team in my rankings. My fifth team is Michigan. The number nine recruiting class, 12 and two last season, 13 starters back. Offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis was pulled away by Mario Cristobal to Miami. So Matt Weiss and Sharon Moore 
are tapped to decide which quarterback to roll with. The steady hand of Cade McNamara, who threw for 2,500 yards and a 15-6 to touchdown to interception ratio. Or J.J. McCarthy, who seems to be a threat in the wings, waiting for his opportunity to get onto the field. Blake Corum, who had almost 1,000 yards last year and 11 touchdowns, is back. Ronnie Bell, who was lost to an ACL injury last season, will solidify one of the top receiving groups in the country, presumably. Cornelius, there we go, Johnson, who averaged 15.7 yards per catch last season, will be in the lineup. Offensive line returns most of its starters and plugs in the Remington Award winner running runner-up from Virginia at center. I cannot pronounce his name. Please forgive me. The defense is going to be upperclassmen heavy, but returning only a few starters. Mozzie Smith could be the next defensive line force there. Jesse Minter comes over from the Ravens as the new defensive coordinator to keep that on track there. The strength of schedule, according to Phil Steele, again, who recalibrates not just last year's winning percentage of teams, um, but a number of different factors has them uh, at 50th of strength of schedule. The non-conference slate for the Wolverines includes Colorado State, Hawaii, and UConn to start off the slate before welcoming in Maryland to start conference play. So that's a month at home there. October 1st will be the first true road game against Iowa, followed up by a road trip to Indiana. Four of the next five are at home. Penn State, Michigan State, at Rutgers, Nebraska, Illinois, and they end the season at Ohio State for a game that could determine the playoff spot. Now, drawing a road game against Iowa and home games against Nebraska and Illinois out of the West Division is not the worst draws, not at all. Michigan, of course, munched on Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game last year. No problems, 42-3. to I'm not sure this year would be too much different of a result. Getting Michigan State and Penn State at home is glorious, of course, but they'll have to avoid any trip-ups and win at Ohio State for the first time since 2000. In order to make the playoffs, I don't think they're able to quite get away with that. I think that they'll be... 10 and 1, possibly 11 and 0 heading to Columbus. I think they lose to the Buckeyes and miss out on the Big Ten Championship game, but are selected over the SEC West team to make the Rose Bowl, where they close out by smashing a team that I have later on my list. So I'm projecting probably 11 and 12 for the Michigan Wolverines. My number six spot goes to the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, who I kept trying to slate further down on this list. 15 starters return. Number 7 recruiting class, 5-star, 17-4s. 11-2 last season. Brian Kelly is off to LSU and Morgan Freeman. Scratch that, Marcus Freeman, both men of many talents, has the keys to the car as he steps up into the head spot from a coordinator role. He's been there many years, of course. We don't know what we're going to get out of the quarterback position for the third year in a row for Notre Dame. Either Tyler uh, Buckner with 35 career passes or Drew Payne with 30 career passes will be up to bat. Whoever it is will have a solid offensive line, a future NFL tight end, and Michael Mayer, not Michael Meyer, we got to get our names right here, and a receiving core that's senior heavy but lacks a real difference maker at this point. Isaiah Folksy and Jaden Adamila, Adamilia? 
will anchor the uh, defensive line, and that defense looks to be in great shape there. Now, every season I look at Notre Dame's schedule and think, there are a lot of good teams here, but not many great ones. I'm not sure any of these teams are going to the national championship game. Well, this season might be a little different. They open up in Columbus at Ohio State, September 3rd at 7.30 on ABC. You will be watching that game. So mark your calendar down for that. After they get wiped by the Buckeyes, which keeps them out of my top four, they'll be playing Marshall, a possible Conference USA contender, Cal at North Carolina, and will take a bye week before their next big game in their new white uniforms in Las Vegas against BYU. Then they're home against Stanford, UNLV, at Syracuse, then they play Clemson, who could win the ACC, of course. They'll follow that up with Tricky Navy, Boston College, and at USC, who could be in the Pac-12 championship the following week. So some of the schedule could fall apart like last season when they had Florida State, Virginia Tech, USC, North Carolina, Virginia, Stanford, all junk. But it looks like the kind of schedule you need to win to make the playoffs. I don't see them beating Ohio State. And I see maybe one other slip up, but I think they can win two of three against USC, Clemson at home, BYU neutral in Vegas, and take care of the schedule like they always do. They'll get something out of quarterback. They'll run the ball. The offensive line will be key to whatever they decide to operate offensively. The defense will have pieces at all three levels. It's Notre Dame. Uh, Freeman's been there for many years, and uh, as much as I like to to poke holes in what they do there, I have them slated all the way up at six, and that won't be as controversial as my number seven, and I think the AP poll will probably have Clemson much higher, certainly around this spot, and uh, I decided to go with a different ACC team. I went with the NC State Wolfpack for my seventh pick in the winner of the ACC Conference. They're bringing back 17 starters. 17 starters. Recruiting class was only 64th, largely irrelevant right now. They were 9-3 and three last season. Devin Leary returns a quarterback after throwing for 3,400 yards, 35-5 to five touchdown to interception ratio last season. Three of the top five receivers return for the 19th-ranked passing offense last season. Three of five offensive linemen return. The defense was number three in the ACC, 21st nationally, 14th in points per game, second in passing rate defensively, fifth in third down defense, and returns 10 starters. They beat Clemson a double overtime last season, but lost to Mississippi State early in week two, 24-10, which put a quick kibosh to their season early. But later on, they only lost two road games, at Miami by one and at Wake Forest by three. So they were close to big-time big time stuff last year. Now the schedule this season, they open at East Carolina, home against Charles Southern, home against Texas Tech, and UConn in the non-conference. Now, Charlie Southey and UConn are gimmies. Should be. But NC State can't have another Mississippi State slip up like they did 
this season against East Carolina or Texas Tech. Can't have one of those early losses to a mediocre team. Obviously, it won't affect the ACC picture, but it'll affect their um, grand scheming at an outside shot for a BCS Bowl, possibly a playoff spot. Now, ECU had its first winning season last year, last season in almost a decade. Uh, Saturday, October 1st, they'll play in Death Valley against Clemson in the game that could decide right off the bat who is going to the ACC championship game from the athletic conference uh, athletic, uh, division for the ACC. After that, they're home against Florida State and at Syracuse before a 12-day prep period for a Thursday, October 27th game against Virginia Tech. Then they'll have another longer prep period, nine days for Virginia Tech. So that weird Thursday game is going to throw things around. Then they'll finish the uh, season against Boston College at Louisville and at North Carolina. So the biggest game that's going to determine a lot is game five, week five, first ACC game on the road at Clemson. I'm projecting they win it. I think they are the better roster. I'll get to Clemson shortly. If for some reason they were to trip up and lose that game, I think Clemson might fall apart in some other games this year. So I'm gambling big. I am putting NC State at number seven on the list. Outside of that road game, they should be favored in every single matchup. Clemson's defensive front could uh, is the biggest difference maker in that game, week five. But I think they're better than every other squad on their schedule. And uh, I'm going to predict that upset. I think this team will have maybe the second or third best overall defense in the conference. I think Louisville might actually have the best offense. So I think they'll have a top three offense and defense in the ACC. And I don't think any other group collectively is going to be that good on both sides of the ball. So I'm picking NC State number seven, and winner of the ACC. Although that could be a team that ends up with two or three losses. That's why they're a few slots lower than everyone else. Speaking of which, my number eight is Oklahoma. That's also my first Big 12 team. This is going to be a wild conference. The Sooners had the number eight recruiting class, the number four transfer class with four, four stars, 10 stars returning. Brent Venables was finally pried away from his perch as defensive coordinator at Clemson and brought on board after Lincoln Riley headed west. And he's expected to continue rolling through the Big 12 in Norman while they're still a part of it. Jeff Libby will play armchair quarterback. He's been the offensive coordinator at Old Miss and Central Florida the past few years for top passing attacks. And he'll rejoin with quarterback Dylan Gabriel transferring in from Central Florida, where he's run up over 8,000 yards passing and 70 touchdowns in his two-plus-year career. Running backs are still sorting themselves out. Offensive line should be in good shape with three starters coming back. Marvin Mims figures to be the big playmaker at receiver with 32 balls for 705 yards and five touchdowns last season. 22 yards per catch, but the depth chart will need to be sorted after him. The defensive scheme is going to be copy and pasted from Clemson with Ted Roof joining Venables. It'll be a lot of guys moving up the depth chart, some transfers plugging holes around the four returning guys as well, but a lot of fluidity on that side of the ball. 
The schedule stacks up like this for the Sooners, who hope to be playing a lot more up-tempo. Four road conference games, four at home, and the Red Rivalry, Red River Rivalry game being played at the Cotton Bowl in Texas. So they'll get UTEP, Kent State at home to start the season. That allows uh, the Sooners to get things humming. Then they'll play at Nebraska on Fox for big noon kickoff in a week three to round out the non-conference schedule. They'll open up at home against Kansas State uh, to play to open up the Big 12 play. And then they'll get the only back-to-back road games they have all season in TCU and Texas. They'll come back to play the Jayhawks at home before taking their bye week after that. They'll wrap up at Iowa State, home against Baylor, at West Virginia, home against Oklahoma State, and at Texas Tech. So they get the the two toughest teams on the schedule, Baylor and Oklahoma State, at home. Presumably the two toughest teams in the uh, Big 12 there. But again, lots of fluidity, lots of, of pieces moving around with the new coaching staff and transfers in and out, people following Lincoln Riley to USC new people coming in. For the most part, a lot of this doesn't sound great for a a team in the top 10, but again, this is going to be a very interesting conference. Oklahoma State is always near the top of the barrel, but was inches away from the playoffs last season when they dove for a game-winning touchdown at fourth and goal in the Big 12 championship game and just came up short. Baylor, who was on the other side of that field, was projected to finish ninth in the conference by most people last season and should wasn't expected to be there at all. So both of those teams figured to be in the conference race with the Sooners as well again this season. Texas might be figuring things out, but could be in the mix. TCU, Kansas State, maybe even Texas Tech, not sure if they'll necessarily be competing for a title, but could certainly figure in the race by knocking teams out. But it's possible one of them could pull a 2021 Baylor, make it all the way to the top. But again, this should be a team that slowly starts to bring the pieces together. I have them losing a few games. I don't think anyone in the Big 12 is going to come out with a good enough record to make the playoffs. That's why they're down here at number eight. Number nine is my third SEC team. That is the Texas A&M Aggies. 11 starters back. The number one recruiting class of all time. They were 8-4 and four last season with losses to Arkansas and at Ole Miss that weren't bad, but they did have rough losses to Mississippi State, who finished 7-6, and and a road loss to LSU the last game of the season when Ed Ogeron was a dead man walking, and the Tigers knew they weren't going to go to a bowl game, so those two were rough looks. All four losses were 10 points or less. Now, Jimbo Fisher has rolled in multiple top-five recruiting classes as NIL talk, NIL, nil, nil talk, has reached a fever pitch this offseason, of course, as him and Saban had their shouting match earlier. And this is, as I stated, the highest-ranked recruiting class ever, according to 24-7 sports and uh, most metrics. So let's look back to last season real quick. Haynes King was the starting quarterback to start the season. He gets hurt. Zach Calzada steps up. He's okay. He's fine. The offensive line is playing four backs of backups at one point, and the schedule was more difficult. They still managed to upend Alabama in week six, and that begins a four-game winning streak for this squad. Now this season, Max Johnson, 
transferring in from LSU. He's an upgrade at the quarterback position. He only completed 60% of his passes for the Down Tigers last year, but still threw for 2,800 yards and a 27-6 to touchdown-to-interception ratio. If he doesn't win the job, it's because King has returned healthy and strong, or five-star Connor Wingman looks great. So they should be better at quarterback this season. They lost Isaiah Spiller to the NFL, but Devin Arcane, who ran for 910 yards at 7 yards per carry and 9 touchdowns, is getting NFL buzz. He also had 261 yards receiving. Most of the offensive line is back and presumably can't be as banged up as they were last season. There'll be a couple senior receivers up at the top of the depth chart with Iannis Amoth with 47 receptions. 509 yards and six touchdowns leading the way. The defense will be young but loaded. Last season, the Aggies only gave up 15.9 points per game. That's third in the country and at the 17th best pass defense. Now the schedule. 11th strength of schedule. The Aggies play Sam Houston at home, UMass at home, Sunbelt favorite Appalachian State, and Miami for the non-conference. A road game at South Carolina and a home date against Florida from the SEC West side is uh, what they get out of that section. So the lineup is like this. Home against Sam Houston. Home against Appalachian State. Miami at home before playing Arkansas and Arlington, Texas in what's considered a neutral site game. Then they get three true road games in a row at Mississippi State, at Alabama, at South Carolina, with a bye week sandwiched in between the Alabama and South Carolina road games. The final four of five are at home. Old Miss, Florida, at Auburn against former quarterback Zach Calzada. That's where he transferred to. UMass and LSU. So, understandably difficult schedule. Of course, Miami, Appalachian State, Florida in there. All three of those are at home. And, of course, the normal SEC East slate. Um, Now, next season, 2023, could actually be the perfect culmination of the storm. Jimbo's been recruiting behind Nick Saban and had major injuries the past few years that have weighed down the offense. The schedule does come into play, certainly the right mix of talent and experience. So this is not quite looking like the year yet. But now Jimbo's starting to out-recruit Nick Saban. And some of these pieces are going to start to come to fruition. So I'm not sure that this is going to quite be the year as they're praying for health and navigating the schedule. But it's possible that starting next season, the greatest dynasty in the history of college football has a real challenger. I think Texas A&M, I think they could really roll through this schedule. There's plenty of plenty of pitfalls. Take your pick of games. That's why the SEC out of all conferences is particularly interesting. But keep an eye on the Aggies. I have them all the way up again at number nine. Number 10, I have Oklahoma State. Not too far behind Oklahoma. 11 starters return. 29th recruiting class. 12-2 and two last season. Again, inches away from winning the Big 12 championship. Finishing with one loss and possibly poking their head into the playoffs. Spencer Sanders returns for about his 20th season. I mean, at this rate, he'll be there playing with his kid at some point. 
just really milking that extra eligibility. He had 2,800 yards last season, just over, and uh, 20 to 12 touchdown to interception ratio. He's had a tough time with turnovers in his career, picks and fumbles, but he is the most experienced quarterback in the Big 12. The number one receiver, Tay Martin, and the number one running back, Jalen Warren, are gone. But the Cowboys have depth. They will be okay at the skill positions. The offensive line is in good shape. The defense returns four guys and loses Jim Knowles again from that top five defense. But they will reload there. Derek Mason hops on board from Auburn at defensive coordinator after all the hub blew at that college and trying to uh, get rid of the staff there this past offseason. So he hops on board to reload that defense. And again, seven guys will be back on the offensive side of the ball, even though the top receiver and running back are out. So the schedule looks like this. Home against Central Michigan, Arizona State, and Arkansas Pine Bluff. Arizona State is struggling right now with Herm Edwards. He's supposed to really bring the Sun Devils forward into Pac-12 contention. And he's got all kinds of allegations and problems hanging over him for issues that are mostly legal or semi-legal now and related to NIL. So it's just absolutely ridiculous that he's caught up in some of the issues that he seems to be. But people have been exiting from there uh, rapidly. I'm not sure that that team's going to be near a bowl game this season. So three very winnable games at home easily. And then they'll take their bye week before heading to Waco and playing Baylor in uh, the opener for the their Big 12 play. That'll be a big one, obviously. Then they'll get Texas Tech at home, at TCU, Texas at home, at Kansas State, at Kansas, home against Iowa State, at Oklahoma, home against West Virginia. So just seesawing back and forth uh, the rest of the way through. Nothing lined up too heavily, home or away. So the schedule's balanced throughout. Baylor and Oklahoma, both on the road. Not great. TCU and Kansas State, potential spoilers, also on the road, not great. All the easy teams, easier relative, uh, will be at home, non-conference at home, so that lines up good. But right now, out of all those teams, this looks like the squad that's going to have the most experience back on offense and the best chance to bounce back on defense and really have that good balance on both sides and be able to win some games here. I expect them to have a solid foundation on both sides and uh, make the Big 12 championship game probably lose to Oklahoma in a a big conference game and, of course, interstate rivalry game there. And that is how my top 10 shakes out after a whole lot of debate. Number one, Alabama. Number two, Ohio State. Number three, Georgia. Number four, Utah. That is my playoff assortment. Michigan, Notre Dame, NC State, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, and Oklahoma State to round out my top 10 teams at the moment. I will drop the second part, which I think will be a little bit more interesting, my teams 11 through 25 in a couple days here. But that is my top 10. Again, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Utah, Michigan, Notre Dame, NC State, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Oklahoma State. That's uh, three SEC schools, two Big Ten two Big 12, one Pac-12, one ACC, and one independent. All my blessings, 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 all my blessings.
all my blessings, all my blessings. I need my blessings every penny. Daily counting every single one I'm seeing plenty. Level up and watch that beat and turn it to a